They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. back it's extremely warm here at magellan's at the movies headquarters shadow is he's panting like a dog uh and he's he is very dog. hot it's it's very hot <laughs> but no one cares about that i did think that nathan it's been a long time it's been a long time since you updated us on the mandalorian season three what's mm. been going on what do you think here here, here's the issue. I have somehow gotten signed out from my Disney Plus on my TV in my apartment. So I've been unable to watch Mandalorian Season 3 outside of the episodes I watched with you, Elliot. So I can only give an update up to Episode 3, I think was the last one we saw. And Episode 2 was pretty classic. Oh, no, Episode 4. I'm on Episode 4. Um, so I think episode two and three were both fairly generic, sort of, maybe I am on, whatever. The episodes I can remember, <laughs> they were both fairly generic Mandalorian sort of episodes. I mean, there's a neat sort of robot villain in the second episode, but I, I struggled to come up with anything yeah, I struggled to come up with anything more interesting about that. Episode three, I was one of my favorite episodes yet because it plays into something I love about Star Wars, which is just like cool world buildy stories about normal people in the Star Wars universe. And so most of the episode was dedicated to some ex-Imperial guys. And it felt to me very reminiscent of Andor and its kind of approach to characters and world building. So I really enjoyed that episode, but that's as far as I've gotten. I have seen some of the stuff that's in the newer episodes, and I am not uh, looking forward to watching them and losing my eyeballs when they roll all the way to the other side of my head. That would be bad. So. <laughs> Speaking of not wanting yeah. to watch things, uh, Star Wars Celebration was held recently, and they announced approximately yes. 5 million new projects. Uh, do you have any thoughts they on those? Um, I'm really excited about Daisy Ridley coming back. I love her as Rey. I think she's kind of mishandled like a lot of the things in the sequel trilogy, but I'm really excited for her to get kind of a second chance. Star Wars has a long history of uh, characters that people hated that they then grew to be like fan favorites. I think Ahsoka is a really obvious example that everyone hated her. And even Anakin, like when Anakin first, <laughs> when the prequels first came out, everyone hated Anakin and now everyone just swoons over him for no reason. So I'm really excited for the possibility of uh, Daisy Ridley and Ray getting kind of a similar treatment uh, the Ahsoka show is going to be really generic, I'm sure, and I'm not all that excited about it. Uh, they unveiled a trailer for the next wave of, like, anime thingies that they're doing, which the last one was actually better than you would expect, so I'm kind of excited for that. And uh, I think they unveiled two other movies. Dave Filoni is getting a movie to cap off the Mandalorian verse. <laughs> Which I swear, if he does <laughs> seven samurai again, I'm going to uh, feel betrayed by his lack of creativity. So I'm not super excited about that one. And then James Mangold is doing an old Republic movie. 
So I think that'll be exciting, but uh, I think it's kind of a bummer that James Mangold isn't getting to do fun, weird movies that he's kind of gotten. He's doing Indiana Jones five. And now this one, uh, I want to see him to do, do an original thing or an adaptation or, you know, something not for a franchise, but such is life. <laughs> Did you have any thoughts on any of these, Elliot? <laughs> I'm not. Oh boy! Well, I'm not watching any of that. No, thank you. Well, speaking, this sets us up for this episode very well. I think this is going to be another contentious episode. Elliot, you chose the film. This is an iconic movie. Break it down briefly for anyone who has somehow not seen or heard of Jurassic Park before. All right, Jurassic Park. So this is a movie from the 90s directed by Spielberg. It's about a group of people. It's a fairly simple setup. It's about a group of people on an island where through genetic engineering and all kinds of weird sciencey stuff that sounds plausible but is in fact not possible, they have resurrected dinosaurs uh, and they have essentially set up a big zoo on the island for people to check them out and be like, wow. But of course things go wrong and the dinosaurs break out. So the meat of the film is them trying to survive as the dinosaurs run amok. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the, that's pretty much the plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Elliot chose this movie. I got to choose something I liked, and now Elliot has chosen something he likes. As a brief preview, my experience with this film, I think this was probably one of those movies our dad showed, like we rented from Family Video, and our dad showed us when we were young, I want to say. It was one of those. What is that? Is that a yes, Elliot? That's a... So this is what happened. I went to a sleepover with my childhood best friend at his aunt's house where we watched Jurassic Parks 1 and 3 because he didn't have two. He fell asleep very quickly, but I stayed up because I was absolutely hooked. Uh, and then I put in Jurassic Park 3 by myself and I stayed up way later than I was supposed to watching these movies. And then the next day I told my, I told dad about it and he was like, Oh wow. Yeah. He was reminded of how his love for Jurassic park, whereupon he went to family video, rented the entire trilogy. And then, yeah, we all, I think mom and Lydia were gone that weekend. So you and me and Ryan and dad all watched them. Hmm. Or you guys watched that. You and Ryan watched them for the first time. I rewatched them. Interesting. See, I don't remember. I vaguely remember watching them, and I want to say I remember watching all three in close proximity because that's how we watched. Like I, I remember watching all three Back to the Futures in a similar sort of vein of, oh, we're just gonna get all three and watch them very quickly in a weekend. That's how we watched the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, we watched Lord of the Rings 1, 2, and 3 uh, over the span of yeah. three nights. That's how it usually goes. Yeah. But I don't really remember having that much of a reaction to any of the three of these movies. Like, I remember watching them, but I don't remember being all that enamored with them. Certainly not as enamored as it sounds like you were. And I think that's going to factor in as we start talking about how we feel about this movie, that some of that is going to kind of come through. It seems pretty evident, though, that you are a fan of this movie, Elliot, <laughs> a bit. <laughs> I love Jurassic Park. It's not in my top five, but it is easily in my top ten favorite movies of all time. I think it's Spielberg's best movie. I think it's one of the coolest premises a movie has ever had i think that this movie is such a great testament to movie magic because like it's just such a it's just so cool to see dinosaurs running around and eating people and being all cool and the animatronic dinosaurs 
look fantastic. The music is amazing. It's my favorite John Williams score. The everyone is giving bringing their A game in terms of acting and it's a legitimately smart, interesting story about the level of control that mankind can or should exert over nature. And I also I I I really like stories about, you know, the sort of Promethean Frankenstein story of people people's reach exceeding their grasp. Wow. <laughs> I think I knew you liked the movie. I don't I don't think I knew you liked it that much. Certainly not in your top 10. This episode's going to be really this episode's going to get really heated. Because of a bit of a a peek into my thoughts. Uh, I kind of, I was having a hard time articulating how exactly I felt that it wasn't that I was like, I disliked the movie and I was trying to come up with the best way to frame like, Oh, this is how I kind of felt. And then I realized I feel sort of similar to how you feel about star Wars that I'm like, Oh, this movie is like for children. And like, I'm not a child and I don't feel like the movie is exciting enough or enjoyable enough, consistently enough for me to really love it as much as you do. And we can get into some reasons why later, but that's how I kind of feel is that I think just the whole, there was multiple times where I was watching it and I was like, I remember really liking this as a kid. I don't really love it now. I mean, you are correct that that is, you are correct that that is stupid. That is not a good thing to say. When did I say that was stupid? Oh, I, I guess I just, I just filled that part in for you on your behalf. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that is right. That's how I feel about Star Wars. That is how I feel about Star Wars because Star Wars is for children. Whereas Jurassic Park, I feel like its status as a kid's movie is much more debatable. I guess. I don't want to get into a debate about whether or not Jurassic Park is fundamentally for children. I think it came from a time when a lot of blockbusters benefited from gaining an audience of younger people. So I think there's parts of this that kind of play like therefore children in a way that his other blockbusters like Jaws, I don't really see Jaws as being that geared towards children, but like dinosaurs, no adult likes dinosaurs. We grow out of that. Why? Because they're lame, Elliot, and they don't exist. Well, of course they don't exist, at least not right now. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, 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 anyway. Let's get started. Let's talk about the actual movie and we'll kind of flesh out our disagreements <laughs> in that way. Well, so first of all, I think that we should say, just for a bit more context, this is based on a book that is absolutely not for children. Um, it's a book by Michael Crichton, who is a fairly prolific hard science fiction writer. Uh, and if you don't know, hard science fiction basically just means a science fiction story that pays more attention to the actual science of its fiction. It's not necessarily something that's feasible, but it is supposed to be more realistic. Um, We both enjoy the book, I think, but I I think that the movie is better than the book. Nathan obviously has a bunch of weird opinions about everything. But uh, yeah, so... And then Michael Crichton also worked as a screenwriter on this movie. Yeah. Uh, we have both read the book. We've read both of the books because Michael Crichton also wrote a sequel to this that was much more loosely adapted, more loosely than this first one was, into the sequel to this movie. And yeah, I do think the book is better because I think the book is a bit more interesting than the movie in terms of the ideas it presents And I think it's benefited by being, like you said, explicitly very not for children, just because I remember there's a lot of parts in the book that vividly stick in my mind in the way that uh, scenes in this movie don't. 
And I think because of kind of their graphic nature in the book. But let's 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 start from here. All right. This is I think almost every character in this movie is fairly iconic. So let's start our discussion with the characters. You know, Sam Neill playing Alan Grant, Laura Dern playing Ellie Statler. Sattler. Sattler. Jeff Goldblum playing Ian Malcolm. Richard Attenborough playing John Hammond. And then other actors playing other people. <laughs> the two kids. Samuel L. And, Jackson, Wayne Knight. Yes. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson is that tech guy. Mr. Arnold. <laughs> Arnold. Yeah. Mr. And then, yeah, Arnold, Wayne yeah. Knight as Dennis Nedry. But, Elliot, let's, let's start there. What do you think of the characters in, in this movie? Um, unsurprisingly, I love them. Uh, I think that the side characters have a lot of personality. They're not necessarily the deepest members of the cast, but I feel like they're all distinct. They all have very clear personalities. They're all fun and funny. Uh, so like Muldoon, I really like his simple coolness, uh, as this hardened game hunter, Samuel L. Jackson obviously has a very unique kind of laid-back charisma that he brings to pretty much every role that he plays in, and I think it's working here. I say, hold on to your butts uh, at least once a week. (laughs) Dennis Nedry is really funny, and I think that Wayne Knight was a good pick for him as this kind of arrogant, slovenly hacker or computer guy. And then the lawyer is a sort of a typical kind of clueless money man, uh, greedy money man. They all, they all serve their purpose well. And then the, the core cast, I think they're just great. I, I love the discussions that they have, their different viewpoints on the park. I, I feel like there's such a Shakespearean tragedy to, uh, John Hammond in this movie. Like he's so sincere in his belief in what he's doing and what he wants to do for the world that he just can't see the inherent dangers and potential, you know, foolhardiness of this project that he's endorsed, especially, you know, even just purely from the fact that he is trying to monetize it, I think says a lot about his character and his mix of genuine altruism and a sort of a I don't know what you would call it like hubris maybe Mm. and then yeah I love Dr. Malcolm he's hilarious Uh, and uh, he obviously has a lot of iconic lines like life finds way your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should all of it delivered with Jeff Goldblum's trademark. I don't. Even, what do you even call what Jeff Goldblum does? Snark. Snark. That's a good word for it. Yes, his trademark snark. <laughs> Alan Grant is much more reserved and I don't know contemplative, but I really like his. I really like the way he plays off the kids. Um, And, you know, grumpy old man learning to get along with kids is fairly classic in terms of character arcs. But I think it works really well and helped in large part by the the chemistry between him and his child co-stars. I was surprised this time around at how much I liked Laura Dern uh, and Ellie Sattler. Laura Dern as Ellie Sattler. I felt like she brought a lot of humanity to fairly cold scientific discussions. You know, she was kind of the emotional center of the team. And I, I yeah, so I, I really like the characters in this movie. And they are iconic for a reason. Yeah, I, I also like the characters. I like Wayne Knight as Nedry. Uh, I think probably one of my favorite lines from the movie, Dodson, we got Dodson here. <laughs> I find that funny. See, nobody cares. See, nobody cares. And then, yeah, like you said, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, this is classic Jeff Goldblum here. Sam Neill is just one of the coolest 
actors. It's a real shame he didn't get big when they were still making Westerns because he would have killed it as like a John Wayne, Clint Eastwood sort of drifter in one of those Westerns, I think. Between this and uh, Hunt for Red October, where he wants to be a cowboy, I just think he would have killed it in those. And uh, I think probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is Alan and the kids. I think the child actors do a really fantastic job. I don't know how uh, Spielberg did this, but he seems to only work with really talented child actors because, like, the the kids in E.T. are good, or at least I remember them being very good. Short Round in Temple of Doom obviously is very talented. (laughs) He just won an Oscar. But I, I really like the scenes with Alan Grant and the kids. I also like, and this is something that Spielberg does very well in most of his movies, is that he doesn't play up the romance between Ellie and Alan Grant, that it's just kind of there in the background, but it never becomes like something annoying or like some half-baked romance subplot. It's always just something that's sort of there, but not addressed in a similar way to like Indy's issues with his dad in Last Crusade, I think. So I like all the characters. I wrote in my notes though, it gets kind of busy at times, I think. And there were just some scenes where I was like this arc, because it's clumped in with all of these other sort of ones, ends up fairly half-baked in my opinion, I think specifically of Hammond, that it was like, he gets one scene where he's talking to Ellie, where he really seems to be grasping things, but that's about it. Like that's the whole, that's, that scene is like the entirety of his character arc or a Shakespearean tragedy compared to in the book, like he's con- it constantly cuts back to him and he's a way worse person in the book which i think is more interesting personally and he ends up dying in the book as well spoilers for the book but so i like all the characters but i think there's just sometimes where it ends up getting a bit overcrowded and i think even the movie knows this cuz like malcolm gets fully shuttled away like he gets injured and then it's like okay back half you're not doing anything I don't think he really needs to be doing much. Yeah, sure. I, see, I, this is exactly how I felt last week, Is it, but in reverse, that, you know, you would say something, and I'm like, well, I don't know if that really applies to, to this. Now the tables are turned, Elliot. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I will also say, just because this is something that really struck me, there is like 40 some minutes of setup to this movie. I I feel like there's a lot of setup that could have been trimmed or at the very least like just shortened a bit. Cause it, it got to be like 30 minutes into the movie. And I was like, wow, we still haven't hit the actual plot happening. Like this is still all just moving people into place to have Jurassic Park happened to them and I I, it just the front half of the movie felt really bogged down with exposition and characters going to meet other characters in exotic locations that I just I felt bored and I was like overjoyed when the Tyrannosaurus finally showed up because I was like oh finally the actual movie is starting well see I actually really like that because I have an attention span and everything. I really like movies that take their time (laughs) – that take their time with their setup. So like just for a contrast, one of the things that I really disliked about the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is how Mm. within the first like three episodes, they got right into him facing off against Darth Vader. And I thought that that was so – so poorly judged to rush into that rather than holding back and letting the anticipation of that build. So for me, I feel like the setup is 
building a lot of anticipation for the turn that you know is coming, even if you've never seen this, even if you've never seen this movie, knowing that it's a movie about dinosaurs in a park, you pretty much know that the dinosaurs are going to get out eventually. And also, I feel like it requires a lot to set up the movie's themes about trying to control nature in a way that's not possible or that is very difficult. Like, honestly, what might be my favorite scene is the lunch scene where they all debate the scientific and ethical merits of the park, not just the park, but the act of reviving these animals. And I think that uh, sometimes Ian Malcolm gets a little bit like, I don't know, he anthropomorphizes nature to a weird extent. But I do think that he, he, he just... He raises a lot of interesting points about the way that life works, the way that, you know, ecosystems work, that John Hammond is playing with something that he doesn't understand, and he's trying to essentially corporatize it. Yeah, well... I guess, I mean, obviously I don't feel the same way. And I feel like a lot of the setup for me feels just like, okay, I guess we've got to watch this setup here. Cause like the lawyer going to visit the Amber mine does very little for me in terms of building anticipation for dinosaurs. It just kind of makes me bored and wish anything else was happening in the movie at the, that point. That scene lasts like three minutes. That's three fewer minutes than the movie should have had. <laughs> Good lord. I don't, my whole thing is that every every scene, moment, and like shot in the movie should be very purposeful and intricately designed to serve the function of the movie as a whole. So even a three-minute scene that doesn't have a point really bugs me because I'm just like, why on earth are you forcing me to watch this? My time is valuable. <laughs> Don't waste it. So basically, you're a, you're a movie Karen. Yes. I'm allowed to be a movie Karen. I, if I dedicate two hours to watch your movie, it had better be good. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway, Elliot. We've talked about the characters. We've talked about the shoddy pacing. <laughs> we've... <laughs> Let's let's talk about something that I think we can agree on. The set pieces in this film are, for the most part, immaculate. I love the f- the first one with the Tyrannosaurus is incredible. The Tyrannosaurus I felt like the Brachiosaurus or Brontosaurus or whatever. The CGI on them did not hold up that well. But the T-Rex in the rain, I don't know if it's just the lighting or what it is or the combination of animatronics and CGI, but the T-Rex looks fantastic still. I mean, that first shot where it's standing in between the cars and it roars looks amazing. It attacking the cars looks really good. It's funny to see uh, Alan Grant fully solve the situation and then Ian completely fail (laughs) and like make it so much worse. I find that really funny. And uh, a lot of the other set pieces I think are really fantastic too. The raptor ones, the one with Dennis and the Dilophosaurus or whatever it's called. Uh, They're all really cool. I'm sure, you know... You also think they're neat, Elliot. <laughs> uh, yeah, that the Tyrannosaurus Rex breakout scene is one of my favorite scenes, like, period. It is engrossing. You are correct. The, the CG, CGI always looks better in low lighting because shadows are very hard to do. So when there are minimal shadows, it's easier to make things look realistic. And obviously the brontosaurus was way too big to make uh make an animatronic for but yeah that scene is it's just so thrilling uh i it's 
yeah, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic action scene. Like it's tense. It's exciting. Everyone is doing a great job, like acting. I love the moments when it cuts away from the action to show like Ian and Alan becoming progressively more concerned by what's happening in the other car because it just does a great job of contextualizing things of showing, you know, how people are reacting in universe. Um, and also one of the things that I really appreciate about this movie, especially compared to the other movies in the franchise is how the dinosaurs act like animals, not like movie monsters, you know, like in Jurassic Park, the in the second one, the T-Rex, especially when he's in San Francisco, just kind of acts like Godzilla. Like he's just a rampaging, mindless killing machine. Whereas in this one, when she's like sniffing around the car or trying to get at Tim when he's still trapped under it, she honestly reminds me of when Shadow is introduced to something unfamiliar like he just he's just like trying to figure it out and similarly she doesn't really seem malicious or anything she honestly just seems like a big animal who doesn't quite understand what she's seeing and is just trying to you know figure out what's going on and maybe get a meal hmm that's you know i mean i guess that's a fair point i don't know if it pans all the way out but whatever I mean, the raptors are more, like, they seem more actively malicious, uh, but even they still seem like animals. Like, they don't, they figure out how to open doors, which is a little bit silly, but they don't really understand what's going on. Like, they don't understand the whole reflection thing, and they seem more like predators, you know, they seem more actively predatory, whereas the T-Rex just kind of seems more, you know, more curious. But I think that that makes sense for, I mean, different animals are more, will have different levels of aggression. And the raptors are sort of built up to be like the main threat or one of the main threats of the movie. Yeah, I, I yeah. I, again, this is the section where we get to agree. I like all the set pieces. Uh, the only one I think is kind of silly, the one where he gets Tim out of the car and then the car starts falling down the tree. I'm like, bro, just walk like two inches to the right and you will be out of the way of the falling car. Like, good grief. But yeah, otherwise they're all great. <laughs> Another thing I think is really fantastic, uh, the cinematography and the lighting especially in this movie, he uses incredibly dramatic lighting, especially in, like, the opening sequence. There's all these quick shots of, like, Muldoon's mouth as he's saying, you know, shooter, and quick shots of a guy's hand, and the lighting is very aggressive, and uh, I don't even know how to describe... It's very, like, sharp, I guess like there's clearly delineated lines where the like light is coming from and where the light is being blocked by a person or a tree or something like that. And he uses it throughout the movie of just putting lots of light into the scene and then having people cover stuff, cover that light up. And it makes for very dramatic and exciting looking shots, even when it's just like Mr. Alfred or whatever his name, Arnold, Mr. Mr. Arnold. When, like, when he just rolls his chair over, the lighting is so aggressive and dramatic. It still looks cool, even though it's just a guy walking over to another thing. Well, I think that this movie is very kinetic um, in terms of the camera and in terms of, like, the on-screen action. Like, quibbles about pacing aside, people are usually mobile in this movie. Like they're trying to get somewhere or they're trying to do something. And even within individual scenes, like the, you know, people are moving around a lot to create a sense of freneticism or tension. And I think that it does create a lot of tension when they have to be still that the contrast really works 
for the movie. It's a subtle thing, but I really appreciate it. And yeah, the camera is very mobile. Like it will pan. The shot I'm thinking of is after the T-Rex eats Gennaro and then goes back to where Alan is trying to save the kids. Uh, The shot starts on the T-Rex's head and then pans with it as she leans down to sniff Alan Grant and Lex. uh, And then, you know, she blows his hat off. Uh, And yeah, it's just, it just really, it's a small thing, but it really contributes to the movie's sense of energy, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's hard to ever come at a Spielberg movie on a technical level because he always does a really good job. They always look good. They're exciting. They're just made for children as well. So, Be- I mean, so let's you know let's get into this here. I I do not find the thematic elements that you've been talking about as interesting or compelling as you do. I feel like there's some elements to me that it's less look at how uncontrollable nature is and more look at how when you act like an idiot and make a bunch of stupid mistakes, bad things happen. That I feel like some of the life finds a way stuff is somewhat taken out at the knees by the fact that, right, Nedry sabotages the park by the fact that they were clearly not putting in enough safety precautions to things that it like, it feels like it doesn't land with me because it seems to me like there's more they could have done to control nature. And since we didn't see them do that in my head there, there's a sense in which I'm like, it seems like they could have, but they just did it poorly. Well, I don't think that the movie's themes are exclusively about trying to control nature. I think they are also about the, you know, about like, not respecting the power of nature, uh, which obviously that plays into the lackadaisical manner with which they're, they've approached things like security or checking to see if the dinosaurs are actually not breeding um, or anything. Cause Malcolm says in the, in the lunch scene that one of the things he's astonished by is the lack of humility before nature, which is kind of a hokey line, but I do, I, I, I take its meaning. Um, and also, you know, it's, there's also like, I think that that's sort of part of it, that when you're dealing with this level of danger, it's inherently vulnerable to human corruption like you get with Nedry, that there's just this one element of greed that's introduced and the whole thing falls apart and falls apart in a very violent, dangerous way where you have the stakes are very high, I think is part of what the movie is saying. It's not just about like, oh, nature's very powerful. It's also about the relationship between nature's power and mankind's effort to control it. Mm. Yeah, I guess. I just, I don't see this movie as really compellingly examining that. And I can think of a lot of movies or pieces of art that examine it in a more interesting way, just to me personally. So, especially like this time going, I think going into watching it, I was trying to keep an open mind, but I felt kind of like going into the Matrix, which when we talked about that one that I was every time I haven't seen the matrix, I'm like, Oh, the matrix is kind of a middling action movie. And then I watch it. I'm like, Oh no, it's really, it's really pretty dope actually. And it's a very cool, exciting movie. And I felt kind of like that going into this movie, but there was really only the one scene with the T-Rex that won me back over and was like, Oh no, this is really cool. Most of the other scenes I was like, yeah, okay. This is pretty much what I expected. It's kind of a, shallow examination of something I think is interesting, but is more thoroughly examined in something like Frankenstein, the book. So, 
Well, I think that the movie's sort of... Ex- I don't think that the movie is examining it in the sense that a lot of movie, a lot of stories when they examine these kinds of themes, so like The Dark Knight, the <clears throat> themes sort of arise more out of conversations and interpersonal, like, dialogue, whereas I think that the themes of Jurassic Park are much more... And this is one of the things... This is one of the reasons that I love it so much is that the themes are more woven into the on-screen action. That every time a dinosaur, to me at least, in my interpretation of it, every time a dinosaur kills someone or, you know, eats someone, that is an example of the movie's themes of the power of nature mm. and lack of respect thereof being played out. Mm. Yeah, no, I I think you're probably right, or at least you're certainly um, explaining in a way that I think is very true. I just don't, <laughs> I guess I just don't see that. So. What are you going to do? I also, this, this is going to really annoy you, but I wrote it in my notes, so I have to say it. Uh, I do think the main theme to the film is very good, but there were times where I felt like the music got kind of, goofy and it didn't like the kitchen scene where the raptors are attacking the kids in the kitchen is very famous for being this super tense great scene uh i don't see how it's that great and the music that was playing over it and it didn't help that it had a scene of it had two scenes of like almost pratfall-esque things happening to the raptors uh the music was kind of goofy and then i was like can I think of a single note that's not the main theme of Jurassic Park? And I can't. So I'll say that. So I don't, yeah, I don't think I listen to this casually. Yeah. You probably should have just left that one in the notes. Cause that's a, that's a pretty poor take right there. I do listen to this movie soundtrack casually. Uh, I've got more than a few of its songs on my like big Spotify playlist that product placement. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think that there are multiple moments where the music enhances the tension, especially in the scene where Ellie is reactivating all the power and Tim is still on the electric fence. I feel like the music really enhances what is already a pretty tense scene. But also, I, I, I do love the theme. I love the scene where they first see the dinosaurs. Uh, I think that the music is fantastic there. I also love how how genuinely like wondrous it is you know to i really like how even ian malcolm you know the who's already been established as the cynic and the skeptic is like so taken aback that he's laughing at how impressive it all is i i I think that's a really cool touch and yeah when he says when hammond says welcome to jurassic park and the music swells and uh, Alan Grant looks over to see the herd moving through the lake. Oh man, it's great, uh, dude! When I watched it last, I watched it last night, and in that scene, I just, I just had a giant smile on my face because I was loving it so much. Hey, you know, I'm glad the movie can bring you this much joy because you're a real sad sack most of the time. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I watched it this morning. I was fairly unmoved by that scene. I was like, yep, it's the scene where Hammond says, welcome to Jurassic Park, like that. <laughs> and yeah, I don't, you know, don't want to say that this movie is like an, atro- an atrocious failure or anything like that. My rating is not going to reflect that sort of sentiment. I think it's a very good movie. Spielberg, this was back when Spielberg still made very good action blockbusters instead of really stupid action blockbusters that he had no business making. But this is, I just think he's made better action blockbusters. I think he's made more interesting action blockbusters. I think the book is more interesting than this movie. I'm never going to like, if I'm at someone's house and they say, Oh, we're going to watch Jurassic park. I'm not going to leave, but I'm not going to be like elated. Elliot is also, he's wearing a Jurassic Park shirt. So this episode was always going to go poorly for me. I mean, that's, you know, that's all, that's all clearly ridiculous. Uh, it's not, it's fine. I mean, it's I, not fine, but it I, is. I, I, I just want to, did I ever belittle your opinion when we had the, when we did the Black Mirror episode? 
Did I ever diminish your feelings on the picture? You did once. I don't remember that. <laughs> once we're done with this, we can we can listen to the tape because the fun thing is it's recorded, so we can find out pretty easily. Um, <laughs> no. You know, the thing about that scene, the welcome to Jurassic Park scene is a big part of what I like about all of the movie is that all of the scenes are so immaculately set up. Like you have the initial uh, the initial shot where Alan Grant sees something off screen and then you see the uh, Brontosaurus or Brachiosaurus or whatever. And then you have, and then it, you know, sort of, so that's like the, the swell. And then it kind of ebbs back for a bit. And then it swells again when you see all the other dinosaurs and the same thing happens in a lot of the action set pieces, like the T-Rex breakout scene where you, there's the initial attack on the kid's car and then the T-Rex leaves for a bit to eat Gennaro and then it comes back and then you have Grant and Lex trying to maneuver around the car and then you have what the last raptor set piece where it moves from the control room as they're trying to fight them off and then escape in the ceiling. Also, I think that the shot of the Velociraptor with all the DNA strands on it, that's really cool. <laughs> that's just a really cool looking shot. And then they get in to the main visitor center and they're sort of falling all over the place with the fossils. And then they're... Then they're they're like on the ropes with the Velociraptors. And then the T Rex comes in, and can I just say the shot of the T Rex roaring with the banner falling? That is so cool. That is so cool. And the, yeah, it's just so well. It's just so so many great examples of how to set up a scene in such a way in terms of writing and camera work and acting that it's always building and then receding and then building again. At least, at least for me, it's always like that. And that's, so the movie is always maintaining in my eyes, this energy. Um, and that's bolstered in no small part by the inherent coolness of these lifelike, uh, animatronics, you know, we haven't really talked much about them, but they are very impressive technical accomplishments designed by the ever famous Stan Winston. Yeah. Um, I guess it just doesn't keep me as excited as it keeps you, Elliot. So I think, I think we're just, uh, destined to feel differently about this. I didn't realize we felt this different. I didn't realize you liked this movie this much, honestly. That's. I didn't realize that you didn't like this movie this much. Well, I think since you said you wanted to do Jurassic Park, I had had Jurassic Park more in my mind. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't think I really see the things that people who love this movie see. And I don't really feel the things that people who love this movie feel. And so going into this movie, I was kind of hoping I would have a Matrix sort of moment where I was like, no, I was wrong. This is amazing. But I just, there was never, it never really had that. And I think part of it was that, you know, the first 40 some minutes were all this set up. And so by the time it started having the iconic, amazing moments, I was kind of a little annoyed at the film at that point. So it became more of like, oh, finally, we're getting something good, as opposed to just being giddy about it the whole time, like it seems like you were. Oh, tragic. Yeah, but do you have any other uh, final thoughts before we get to ratings and recommendations here? Um, I don't think so. I will say that in contrast to the movies that we recommended last time, uh, the executive producer actually does like this movie. Wow. That's really exciting. Uh, then let's get to ratings. You know, uh, I think I've said pretty much everything I want to say. Uh, I like this movie. I don't hate this movie. It's very competently made. It's very cool at moments. It spawned, you know, one of the best franchises of all time. Every single one of these movies is a, is a classic. 
but yeah, I think it's a, it's a 7.2, 7.3 for me. I like it, but it's I, I find it kind of overrated, to be honest. Well, that is unfortunate. Um, yeah, I, I love this movie a lot. I think it's fantastic. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. It's my favorite Spielberg movie. I think that the music, cinematography, acting, writing, action is all unassailable, even though, you know, obviously it is assailable because Nathan's been assailing it. But for me, it's it's unassailable. It's one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's just such a cool premise. It, there's just something, it's just, this movie is one of those movies that just makes me really happy. Uh, it just makes me really happy to watch, makes me really happy to go back and inhabit that world and inhabit that feeling, that same feeling that I had as a kid watching it on a sleepover where I was supposed to be asleep, but I just could not stop watching the dinosaurs uh, causing havoc. And it's a movie that my appreciation has, my appreciation for which has grown over the years as I've grown to be able to appreciate the themes that I see in it and that I see being woven into it in a very unique way through the on-screen action. So I'm going to give it an A+. Wow. Wow. I mean, that is a, such a classically amazing first time watching a movie story that, you know, I stayed up all night watching a movie at a sleepover because I couldn't stop watching it like everyone else could. And that is genuinely like exactly how I feel watching Star Wars A New Hope that I just am taken back to my dad sitting me down and being like, if you don't like this movie, you're dead to me. And then showing me Star Wars A New Hope. (laughs) I thought we watched Phantom Menace first. No, no, definitely not. We definitely watched the original trilogy and we weren't allowed to watch the prequels for a while, because I remember the day that Dad said we could finally watch uh, the prequels. Because I was really excited. I was like, oh, finally, I can see. I was so excited. And then I think I did really like <laughs> really like the prequels when I were, first watched that. But anyway, 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 this is all beside the point. Elliot, do you have any... We usually do this with franchises. Do you have any... Thoughts you want to share on the subsequent entries in the Jurassic Park media empire? Never should have happened. Uh, they should have just stuck with Jurassic Park and let well enough alone. Um, just in case you think that my appreciation for this movie is based purely on nostalgia, um, I also loved Jurassic Park 3 when I watched it that night. Uh, my appreciation for that movie has not exactly flowered since then. <laughs> it has very much withered. Um, but yeah, I think that Jurassic Park 2 has its moments. Jurassic Park 3 is really bad. Um, Jurassic World has its moments. Uh, Fallen Kingdom has a moment. And then Dominion is completely awful. Yeah. And we already did Dominion, so wow, this is, I think, our first time doing two movies from one franchise. Yeah. Until we do our Last Jedi episode, forthcoming. (laughs) That is not forthcoming. We are not diving into (laughs) that nest of vipers anytime soon. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, sir. Anyway, let's get into recommendations, Elliot. Uh, I'll go first so I can talk about a movie I like after having to talk about this movie all episode. Uh, My recommendation is Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the second remake reboot of the Planet of the Apes franchise following the Tim Burton one in the early 2000s. This one is fantastic. Funnily enough, it is also a movie I saw for the first time at a sleepover at a friend's house. And it's also a movie I really enjoyed at that sleepover and then ended up watching all of the subsequent entries of the franchise. But yeah, this is a really fascinating um, sci-fi movie showing how the Planet of the Apes kind of got started, I think, Caesar and Andy Serkis is one of the more interesting characters to be in a franchise. And it's cool. You get three movies to see him kind of developing a moral compass of sorts 
and trying to figure out what it means to be good as he's kind of slowly gaining consciousness as a going from monkey to a super monkey, I guess. <laughs> he's an ape. A super ape. Uh, but, super ape. Yeah, this is a, just a really fantastic sci-fi movie. James Franco's in it. He's pretty good. I remember him being very good. I really like the back half of this more than maybe the front half. But I think if you like Jurassic Park for the sci-fi elements, as well as some light philosophical sprinklings, I think Rise of the Planet of the Apes is an excellent film that has all of that, in my opinion, in more supply. But that's my recommendation. I agree wholeheartedly with this recommendation. I think that the Planet of the Apes prequel reboot thing trilogy is one of the strongest trilogies out there. Um, I don't love war, but I think I, I have come around on it a bit since I first saw it. We've talked about Dawn at length already. That's a fantastic movie. And yeah, Rise is really strong. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add. Uh, this is a great movie and also a really... It's a, definitely a slow burner, but I think that it does a great job of maintaining and building tension as it builds up to the to the rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, so yeah, great movie. My recommendation is a movie that I've kind of dunked on on this podcast already. because So my recommendation is Aliens, the sequel to Alien. Um, and I did mention that I think that Alien is better than Aliens. I still think that, and I am completely right. But... I do think that Aliens is pretty good, uh, very good even. <laughs> so this is the sequel to Alien. Uh, it's one of the most beloved sci-fi action horror movies out there. Uh, that's why I chose it, because Jurassic Park... Oh, excuse me. Has a lot of horror-adjacent elements. And obviously Aliens is much more firmly in the horror genre, although I don't think it's very scary at all. But people call it horror-adjacent, so whatever. We'll give them that. Uh, I guess I'm just stronger than most people. Like I, I guess I, I just have more backbone. <laughs> That's not true. I'm a big baby. Sure. Um, but yeah, the uh, the xenomorph is a really cool creation of movies. Um, the xenomorph wasn't designed by Stan Winston as well, was it? No, I can't recall the guy's name. But if I heard, it's Carl something, isn't it? Or am I thinking of someone else? I don't know. Shoot. Look it up. We're on computers, so. Carlo Rambaldi. I was close with Carl. Dang. You were. But that is completely beside the point. <laughs> the point is, this is a very entertaining movie. Uh, it's a very simple movie, but and it relies on a lot of simple uh, narrative structures, like people getting stuck in a place that they have to get out of, just like Jurassic Park, uh, but also uh, mm -hmm. taking care of a, a bunch of military men, taking care of a child, a alien queen, although that wasn't as much of a trope as it is these days. Um, a lot of really cool practical effects. Uh, the xenomorphs are famously all practical, as is the xenomorph queen, and she does look pretty impressive. Also, the practical there's a famous fight at the end between Sigourney Weaver, who is a very well-known action star heroine. Uh, mainly, I think she got her start, or she became big after starring in the Alien franchise. And she is good. She's a great actress, and she does a great job here. And yeah, it's just a really cool, like Jurassic Park, it's a really cool science fiction uh, thriller. With a lot of really well done set pieces. It's directed by James Cameron, who's very well known for his action set pieces. And mm -hmm. despite my problems with him as a director and as a person, I do think he does action very well and effects very well. And yeah, there are some themes about people trying to control things that are not controllable. I think it's a bit more silly in Aliens because what on earth are you going to actually do with a xenomorph? I mean, that's just ridiculous. But uh, yeah, this is a really entertaining movie. Um, and I think that if you're looking for the thrilling sort of really tense science fiction movie that Jurassic Park is, I think that there's a lot of that DNA in Aliens. DNA! Hey! 
DNA, uh, as we know from Jurassic Park, is the building blocks of life. And life, as we know from living it, is hard and full of disappointments. Good one. Thanks. Wow, the best one yet. Woo-hoo. The best one yet. I would rec- I would second the recommendation for Aliens. I think Aliens is better than Alien. That's another film we disagree on a bit, I suppose. Yeah, but just but, like a bit. Like I don't I don't have that much attachment to the Alien movies. I just happen to personally prefer the style of Alien over the style of Aliens. Yeah, and I, I think I'm pretty much the same, but, you know, flipped. So, uh, thank you for listening. This was an exciting episode. I think we're going to return next week with a much more pretentious episode. We've been doing a lot of mainstream hits. It's time to do some weird nonsense. Elliot's making faces. He didn't know this. That's because I make yeah. decisions without telling him. Fantastic. But yeah, we're going to do something fun for next week. And we look forward to uh, sharing it with you, the listeners. So we'll see you then.